listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. We are so happy you're joining us today. I am your host, Delane England, lover of America, and we have a lot of topics to discuss today. And we want to also welcome, we will be having another Liberty Mom. Her name is Pam Allen. And we will be talking about Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful holiday. It's a great time to not only get together with the family and celebrate the family, also to reflect on all the many blessings that have been given to us by Providence and to also focus on those who not only celebrated the first Thanksgiving, but also created such an amazing nation with the hand of God in order for us to enjoy prosperity and freedom and liberty. And there is a difference between freedom and liberty, just in case you were thinking I was being repetitive. So we're going to talk about a lot of things because there's our world is on fire. I I think you've probably noticed. (laughs) If you haven't noticed, it's time to wake up to your awful situation and notice our world is on fire. But you know what is so great? We do have things to be grateful for. We do have blessings, and we are also told that this is a day of miracles. So while things are falling apart and going crazy, there are also going to be many wonderful blessings and many wonderful miracles. And we have to prepare for those and look for them and notice them so we don't let them slip by us. But I want to talk about a few things. And one of them, we have just um, just had our voting not too long ago. I just want to point out something. I have a question. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how all of the the polls all of the polls said we were going to have a red wave that we were going to have the republican party was going to have a red wave and they were going to take a lot of seats so this was this was the story this was the prediction of those who it is their job is to make these predictions and to kind of see what's happening boots on the ground do you notice that According to the states, according to the votes across the nation, I think it's really interesting. Did you notice that Florida did have that red wave? Not only with their governor, where they reelected DeSantis by a huge 20%, like amazing. It literally made Florida went from a purple state to a red state in one election. And I really, I think the biggest overwhelming majority of I my my I could be wrong about this but I think of any race any major race anyway and and many of the local many of the 
local state senators and House representatives, a lot of those Republicans won. Here's what's also interesting. Florida actually count hand counts their votes. They don't send a ballot to every person. They send, they have you go in and actually vote. They send ballots to people who request them. But then they, at the end of the day, when the polls close, do you know what they do? It's very novel. It's so novel. We've been doing it forever. And yet until the last maybe five to uh, five years, to two to five years, depending on the state, they actually go vote. And then, you know what they do? They count their votes. They hand count their votes. How primitive. They don't use machines. They count their votes by hand. And you know what? It's so primitive that they, it takes them five hours to count their votes. It takes five hours versus using machines like most of the other, if not all the other states do, which some of the states still haven't finished counting their votes because they're using machines and they still don't know who won the race. And in those same states where they use machines, the predictions did not come to fruition. The polls were wrong. What the people said, who they said they're going to vote for, and what they said they were in favor of ends up not being accurate. So I'm not telling you that we have election insecurity or election fraud. I'm simply asking you to use a little critical thinking here. Put your little thinking caps on and see if you can figure out for yourself. Is that a coincidence? The place where we actually count votes and we know there is very little election fraud because there is chain of custody all the way through because when they count the votes, real life people with real lives, not artificial intelligence, but real actual intelligence, count the votes and they do it using a person from each party and each candidate is there to witness. So you notice no one's questioning the vote in Florida because everyone got to go in and be part and participate in the counting. So nobody is questioning the integrity of it. And that's where we had the red wave. So. I would support everyone. I know we just voted, but um, we're going to have other elections. And I would support everyone in not using your mail-in ballot. Keep it. Do not destroy it. Do not throw it away. And do not give it to the election clerk. Keep it. Go in in person. This is called a sacrifice. It's not as convenient. It takes longer. But hey, it's only our vote. It's only our nation. It's only our liberty that's at stake. So it's not a big deal, but you might decide living in a free nation might be worth a little inconvenience on election day to actually show up on election day and vote. And when you do that, pull your phone out and look and see what Wi-Fi networks are available. Just look and see how many different ones and see if any of them are new or different, especially if you go into the voting polling place um, on other times and see if suddenly there is a change. If there is, please contact whoever is over election integrity in your state. Let them know. We have to document this. We have to gather evidence. Not gather 
for evidence to be right, we need to gather evidence to find out what is right. Let's be seekers of truth. Let's find out. And so that is another way that we can just check and make sure that the voting machines are not hooked up to the internet. Not saying all of them are. We know some of them are. We know for certain. We've seen the evidence. We've seen the proof. And we also know because we're intelligent, bright people and we've been using computers for a while, we know that computers absolutely can be, have algorithms and that they can be programmed with a specific algorithm and to have a specific outcome. This would not likely be done by election clerks. And I know personally as someone who lives in Utah and I know many of our election clerks and I find them to be great people of of really great standing. I have great confidence in them. I don't know anybody who's an election clerk who um, I would not trust. But as we know, wisdom is trust and verify. Always verify because then you know you're being wise in your trust. So um, those are some things to think about and keep in mind because we will be having elections in the future. And even though it seems like a long ways away, it really isn't that far because, you know, this, we, we, in Utah we have our legislative session ends in the middle of March, and that is literally when elections begin. That's when people throw their hat in the ring. So when they decide to vote, that's only three or four months away, and, and the whole process starts over again. And so it's really good to be thinking now of ways that we can improve election integrity and improve our system so that we can be sure that who we vote for counts and that the, the people who have the majority of the will of the people win. Okay, I also wanted to share some advice with you, especially right now because a lot of people will be traveling for Thanksgiving. If you're going on a road trip, Yahoo. I mean, it's going to be like twice as expensive for gas, but you have so much control over your schedule when you drive. I love road trips. If you're going to fly, I want you to be aware of something that has happened quite recently, and that is that every airport that I went to, which is quite a few in the last couple of weeks, they have all implemented facial recognition. Now, there's no sign. There's no warning. When you bought your ticket, it didn't tell you you were going to have be subjected to facial recognition. And there's no, you wouldn't even notice, except that if you're paying close attention, if you're being vigilant, if you're noticing your surroundings, they're having you scan your ticket and then look in to a monitor. So when I got there, I said, hmm. That looks like, because I'm never the first person on the plane. I, I guarantee you that. Like, why do I want to get on the plane and sit there encompassed in a plane that I'm going to be sitting on for hours? So I, I tend to hang back a little bit. So I was watching as people were scanning their ticket, and then they were looking into this thing. And I said to my sister, I think they're doing facial recognition. And I was really upset. So I'm like, I am not doing facial recognition. So I went up and asked the lady at the counter. And she said, yes, that's facial recognition. I says, well, it's against my belief system. I'm not going to participate in that. And she said, no problem. Just let her know. But be sure to stand three feet away from the monitor be, be, when you tell her, because the monitor can scan you from three feet. So I think that is a really, really important piece of information. You don't even have to get close to a facial recognition monitor 
you wouldn't even know that it's before it is scanning you. So again, I think this is something that we must rally together and stand together and think about what that actually means when you're being scanned and that goes into a system. Your facial recognition with your name is going into a system. So I, I had several really fascinating conversations with some of the, um, I, not so much with the airport agents because I just simply said I'm, I'm opting out and they were very cordial and very nice. Now, of course, we all know right now they're very nice and cordial, but we all know the time will come. If we don't stand up, if we don't fight it, if enough of us don't stand up to it, it will not be a matter of choosing. It will be when you go to buy your ticket, they will tell you you will be subjected to this just like you are TSA, just like you are. You want to ride on airplane, you are going to be molested or be a porn star in our scanning machine. And we are, have the right to go through all of your stuff. Even though you have not committed a crime, even though we have no evidence or reason to suspect you at, to any degree, um, if you want to get on our plane, this is what you're going to do. So again, this is a really big deal because it totally changes our culture. It is completely unconstitutional if done by the government, but this is where fascism public-private partnerships, which is the new way we say fascism. We use a new term called public-private partnership where the big businesses are doing the will of the government. They're enforcing the government will of control and 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 scanning us and data mining us. And they're, it's being done by private businesses, private entities, and it's being done for the government because they're in partnership with the government, which is just exactly what fascism is. And so if you do not want to be facially scanned, then I suggest that you please take advantage, educate everyone that you know, and let them know it. you can opt out. I had conversations with some of the, um, when you go through customs, the customs agents. Now the customs agency, they actually work for the federal government. They're in uniforms. They have actually taken an oath to uphold the Constitution. So that is where I chose to have a conversation about facial scanning. And I very politely, as politely as I'm as it's possible for me to do, um, why are you participating in this violation of our Fourth Amendment? Why are you, as I, I'm sure, a great person, I have no doubt you're an honorable person, why are you, who also took a sacred oath, to uphold our Constitution of the United States of America, why are you participating in a violation of our Fourth Amendment right? And it was interesting. I did actually have one person admit that he did feel that it was not necessary and, and a violation. I said, you know, the thing with artificial intelligence is it, it just gives itself away right off the bat, artificial. Artificial is fake. It's a, it is a, a corrupt version. It is a crony version of what intelligence is. I said, you are there. You are intelligent. You're a real life human being with real life intelligence. You're looking at me, a real life human being with also real life intelligence. And you have my passport in your hand and you have a picture of me. 
and you can look with your real life intelligence at my passport and my picture and you can look at me and you can see yeah same person you don't need to use a machine that has artificial fake not true corrupt quote unquote intelligence which is which is fake intelligence is not intelligence at all it's fake it's not real it's artificial and so uh, that's I'm off my soapbox on that. So just be aware when you go to an airport that will happen. I, I really believe that every airport has instituted this. I could be wrong, could be small, but I went to more than eight airports and every single one of them, large and small, even the small airports have this facial recognition at this point. And so I'm just warning you, be aware of that and make sure you educate people also your family and friends so that they will know because the only way we will overcome this is if we stand up and speak out if we don't participate is the only way we can overcome this okay so speaking of fascism being from utah i live literally literally five minutes from the great salt lake i can i'm looking at it right this minute i can look out my windows and i see the great salt lake it is i love the great salt lake I absolutely love it, especially the north end that is the spiral jetty, where the spiral jetty is. I just love it. I, I think it's one reason it's so unique to, you know, there's no other, there's the Dead Sea and there's the Great Salt Lake. It's just like not very many places in the world that you can go and you can swim and literally bob on that, that you can literally walk on water. You just bob on the surface of the water. It is so fun. It is so unique. And and up at the spiral jetty, it is super, super salty. So when you go there, you have a very hard time standing because it just is so salty that it just naturally makes your feet and your arms and your head, it just makes them bob to the top of the water. So you're just, it's very fun. It's very fun to take people who are scared of swimming. They're scared of water. It's very fun because no matter how much they are scared to let go when they let go. It's just incredible to have them. It's just such a unique and euphoric experience because they just bob. Now, of course, you come out with looking like a snowman, white salt all over your body. You're just completely covered in white salt. So when you go, be sure and take a five gallon of water with you because then you can rinse off and not be Mr. and Mrs. Krusty when you're in your car driving back to a civilization. That is my best recommendation food water and and rinsing water so as many may or may not know we are the water levels at the great salt lake are very low now we don't drink that water and we don't water our plants with it because it would kill them and so it's not a matter of like human survival to have the great salt lake and it used to be the bonneville lake so it used to be massively huge cover the entire entire valley salt utah valley salt lake valley but it is shrinking and of course it is of great concern i care i care about it because of the ecosystem that's important to me also just because i think it's just charming and lovely and just amazing and it's so fun and it's so unique i i care about it it's part of utah it's part of um our draw here i i think it's really awesome so i do want to protect it and of course, since we're in a drought and have been for five years, we don't have a lot of excess water to just go putting there. So the great mines of Utah, 
And oh, believe me, I use that term great minds with the greatest amount of sarcasm. And I'm trying very hard to be polite, but I am very upset about this idea. Here's the great minds of Utah. This is their number one way, the greatest way they came up with to solve the shrinking lake of Great Salt Lake. Let's pay the farmers to not produce food. And then they can take the water that they would use to grow food to keep us alive so we can live for people. And let's take that water instead of growing food and we'll put it in the Great Salt Lake to bring the Great Salt Lake back up to capacity. Do you think that that is a good idea? If you do, I would like to ask you to have one of your friends or family members look in your ear and see if they see air on the other side. Like you do not have to be a brain surgeon or a neuroscientist to know this is one of the dumbest things I have ever heard of in my life. And I have heard of some really dumb things because I go up to the legislature on a regular basis. So this is really, really dumb. It is unbelievable for every, on every level for every reason. First of all, we want to pay farmers to not produce food. Do, are you not aware of what is going on in our world and in across the world? We are suffering from a food shortage. And it is predicted we are going to suffer from an even more serious food shortage as time goes on, especially if we stay in a drought situation. So why would we want to pay farmers to not produce, period, anybody? Why would we want to pay anyone to not produce? But why would we want to pay farmers specifically not to produce food? Because guess what? We all need food to survive. We can live without the Great Salt Lake, although I don't want to. We can live and we cannot live without food. This other reason is, again, you're creating a public-private partnership. It is fascist. And in the Constitution of the United States of America, Article 4, Section 4, it requires only one thing of the states. The entire 4,500 words in the Constitution, only one place does it tell this states what they must do. The entire rest of the Constitution tells the federal government what they cannot do and what they can do. It puts barriers and limitations on the federal government. And only one place does it say, states, you have to do this. And that one thing is to create a republic form of government. Guess what? A republic form of government does not allow for a fascist form of government. So this idea is completely unconstitutional, both on a Utah state constitution and on a federal constitution, because they can't create a fascist form of government, aka public-private partnership. I know we have them. I'm not, I'm not innocent or dumb and think that we don't already have other public-private partnerships, but I would like to get rid of those, and I absolutely want to do everything in my power to stand in the way of creating any more fascist agreements with businesses according okay we are going to take a quick break and we're going to come right back and we are going to talk about one of my favorite holidays thanksgiving
Welcome back. Thank you so much for staying with us. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our families and our communities. I'm your host today, Delaine England, and I'm so happy to have you join us. I'm very excited about one of my favorite holidays, Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday for numerous reasons. One is I love getting the family together. I love getting extended family together and being together. There's just an energy and a synergy and there's just anticipation and fun. Um, Of course, most people really love the food. They love all the excitement of the food. I used to really love the food. I, I found when I was younger, it was the one thing I didn't like is that I'd always overeat, but I learned as a teenager, I really wanted to learn to control myself so that I didn't feel like a beached whale and feel like rot after Thanksgiving because I didn't want to feel awful afterwards. And so I'm, I will say that I have learned very much to, I'm really good at that. I don't overeat. I don't overeat on Thanksgiving. So that is an invitation because you enjoy it more if you don't overindulge because you know, Hey, there's always leftovers. Hopefully. Uh, Of course, if you go to a restaurant, I don't suppose there are, but yeah, maybe you can get some leftovers. I don't know. But um, I, I always have leftovers for that reason, because I can always eat more later. I don't have to eat it all at once. And um, of course, I only eat sugar on holidays. I only eat anything with um, sugar treats on holidays, and Thanksgiving is a holiday. So it's kind of fun because I like to taste a lot of different desserts that I make, and it's fun to try the things that I've made and taste them. So, and also because I think it's such an important holiday. The real, real reason, which I've come to really appreciate the older that I have gotten, is what it really means, the true meaning of Thanksgiving. And of course, we can't help but reflect back on the people who founded our country that that really made such an incredible sacrifice. It's really hard to imagine because I really do want you to just take a minute and think, okay, you know what? The world, you know, wherever you live, it's not going to be fit to live there anymore. It's not going to be safe for your family. So you're going to take your family and you're going to move to a new society, a place where you're going to start it over, where there aren't any houses, where there aren't any stores. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it sounds pretty awesome to me. I'm like, that sounds so great to just like get some land and go out and live by myself in, you know, somewhere far away with just a couple of other families. It, it actually does sound pretty great. But when you think about the change in lifestyle and the change in culture and what you really will give up, especially going to a new land literally across the pond on the other side of the ocean where you're really not going to be seeing your friends or family again, more than likely never, but definitely not for a really long time. It was such a brave, incredibly brave thing to do. And I think it is hard to not see God's hand in this actual becoming, the, the people who did it and the actual journey over and the actual settlement. But it could be, you could, you could easily miss God's hand in it. You really could. Um, but when you think about the journey, all of the problems, all of the difficulties with the speedwell wasn't worthy, seaworthy, and they had to go back, and then they, they, some of them didn't come, and then they had, they took the Mayflower and to start again, and they took the Mayflower, and I think it is 
really fun to know and to notice that only one person died on the journey over. And that one person was not one of the pilgrims. He was not one of the religious people. It was one of the crew members who was violently very, very mean and very rude to the religious pilgrims. He was just vile with them. And he got sick and he did die on the journey over. I also think it's really interesting to know that during a storm, really, really just a vicious storm, and they would have all of the people, not the crew deck, they would go down under deck where they would be safe. Of course, it was very stinky and um, it was, and you you would tend to get more seasick down there because, because it was so stinky and you didn't have fresh air and you really felt the the waves and the motion of the ship. But for some reason, John Halland, who was one of the pilgrims, did not go down. He was helping the crew. And in this huge storm, he was actually thrown overboard. He fell off of the Mayflower. But as you have always seen the pictures of big ships and especially the Mayflower, they have these huge ropes that hang down and dangle on the side of the ship. So as he went overboard and he got, he was actually down in the water. So think of what a miracle this is in a storm. He was actually able to grab a hold of this rope, one of these ropes, he grabbed it. And even being under the water with the water and in a storm, the ship tossing all over, he was able to grab this and hang on to it. And then the crew members above board were able to pull the rope and they were able to pull him back up. And so John Helland was saved by, in my personal opinion, divine providence, his as well. I'm not the only one that thinks that. And, and so that I think is quite amazing. And then what is also really interesting is that one of his progenitors was Joseph Smith Sr. and Joseph Smith Jr. And there are actually, I believe, two or I think three, but for sure two um, presidents who of the United States who were his posterity. And so some pretty well-known people became, got, came to America as just naturally born citizens of America because of John, John Helland. And I just think that is just super cool because he was saved. He was literally saved. Now, once they arrived, things were very rough because they got here in November and it was very cold, very snowy, very, very cold. As a person who doesn't really like the cold, I can really, I really identify with how miserable it was. And unfortunately, because they had made an agreement to live the law of communism, to live in common, that was their agreement with their financiers, they didn't produce enough and about half of them died the first winter. And that is one thing that I really love about Governor Bradford. He became the third governor of Plymouth is that he noticed and he acknowledged that he had become the tyrant that he had left England to get away from because he was founding, finding people were not producing, people were not working. They were not 
doing what they needed to do. And so, and because of that, they were starving. And so he was becoming very, very ornery with people and having a very, very difficult time. And so it, it, it really is just very sad. It, it really is very sad to think of, of how human nature, we, we do, um, we need to have an incentive. We need, there is a reason that we, we have these laws of nature and nature's God. Why our declaration was even founded on that is because we, these laws work. And where we did not have a reason, they did not have a reason to produce, they received the same thing whether they produced or didn't, they didn't produce. And so therefore they died. I think it's a really important message right now. It's a very, very important principle that we need to know with the state of our nation and of what's happening right now. It's very, very important to, to realize how important it is that we work, that we work hard, that we produce, and how important producing something um, is important to our, our survival. And how Governor Bradford said it set the human spirit free. And I love that. And so with that, I want to welcome our Liberty Mom, Pamela Allen. Welcome, Pamela. Hi we're there. So, we're so glad that you could get in. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties. We're so glad that you could join us. So um, while we were waiting, while I was waiting, we just kind of talked a little bit about the journey over. We're kind of landed. So we are just talking about how amazing the pilgrims are and how important the um being productive, how important that principle is to our survival as Absolutely, a people. Yeah, that that is critical. If if we're not producing, we're just laying back. Everything's going to fall apart. Yeah, and we can really we can really see that right now. People having been paid to not produce, we have seven million young people from the ages of of seventeen to thirty seven. Seven million people. Young men, not just people. We have 7 million right now in the United States that are not employed, that could be. They're able-bodied people that could empl be employed but are not. And and that's because they've been paid not to work. So not to sidetrack, but to make it relevant. Okay. So <laughs> I'm very good at sidetracking. Okay, Pamela, um, you're an expert on the Mayflower. Well, I, I'm becoming expert. I wouldn't say I'm totally there yet, but I've been working on it for a while. And uh, I keep learning new things, and it's very exciting to um, to learn about those. Um, it is exciting. It's fun to learn new things. So with Thanksgiving coming so soon, so looking forward to it, what what new things have you learned that you would like to share with us? Well, I have to tell you, I was quite amazed because I, I was talking with a friend, Sarah Hackett, who has um, who's been involved in um, well Plymouth and Jamestown for for decades, and she's collected so many wonderful things and gone back to the those um, places back east and and walked the places and studied and brought things back and um, presented. She's she's helped fifth graders for years. She's recently retired, but she. Um, She's just done a marvelous job in in collecting all of these things, and uh, I get to work with her during the Colonial Heritage Festival, 
uh, we've been sharing a booth. And so she's been sharing some things with me. And it's been quite amazing to me to realize that when you learn history, so to speak, it depends on whose view of the history it is that you are looking into it. And you might see some of the same things that are reported quite differently. And then you might find things that are depicted uh, years later that are totally inaccurate, but they become part of our the fabric of our understanding just because the depictions are well well known and no one has stepped up to correct them. For instance, we've all seen the the pictures of the the pilgrims walking to um, walking to church on uh, on a cold wintry Sunday, and they're all wearing black. Black is a, a fabric that they they wouldn't have because it is so expensive to have that dark color, and so their colors were were maybe muted, but not as brilliant as we would have now. But certainly like a, a gold and a, and a sea blue and and a, and kind of a, a moss green. Uh, those kinds of colors, and uh, they were they were very lovely, and and not as uh, dull as as they are mm-hmm. depicted. Yeah, they didn't they did not look like they were going to a funeral all the time. That that is yeah. so true, and the hats, uh, the buckles on the hats and the belts and the shoes. No, no, uh, buckles were expensive. They couldn't do mm-hmm. that. They wouldn't decorate their hats, and their hats are not that kind of a thing. They're they're kind of a a little higher and rounded with a wide brim. And uh, they would be used out of doors uh, to shade their eyes from the sun and things like that, protect themselves from the sun. But of course, the women would wear those little uh, white hats that we would see and protect their hair from that and and, uh, would not be seen with their hair down. So uh, you probably will never expect to see that in a a pilgrim portrayal, at least not an accurate one. And uh, something that was just so amazing to me that I had not considered before, I went to a dinner last year, and actually you and I were there together, and uh, they had these uh, napkins there that were huge. They were a, mm-hmm. a yard square, and I was going, oh my gosh, what is this? And I just found out that, well, um, they had these big napkins uh, that they, they would use uh, and just kind of tuck them in under their chins to protect them from any falling food because they didn't have forks and they mostly ate with their hands. Yes. And so when they get sticky, they just wipe them on their napkin, which of course would make it much an easier thing to clean than their clothing. So these are some things that have just uh, just astounded me that because of paintings that we have seen, it has just been a part of our fabric. This is part of Part of Thanksgiving also. Yes. So you've given, just real quickly, you've given everybody permission to, you know, have Thanksgiving dinner without any silverware. So I really actually like that idea because, you know, you have a lot less dishes to wash. And to just give really huge napkins, let everybody tuck it in, and then they can wipe their hands on it and just eat with their hands. Because I think that would be a fun Thanksgiving festival, I really have to say. I look with with a lot of male testosterone in my family. I am they're going to be really excited about that. So thank you, Pamela. Well, and if you go back to Plymouth, which uh, I have a friend who is going back there uh, for Thanksgiving this year, that's that is exactly what they what were they going to experience. Yes, of course. And don't expect that you're going to have apple pie. This is another no. thing that astounded me. Apples were not 
grown in New England. They didn't get there until Johnny Appleseed. Absolutely. That is just so great. You know, a lot of people just don't even give Johnny Appleseed much thought or much credence, but he did, really did take the apples throughout all his travels. And so we get, we have him to bless for that. And if you have an apple pie, you can say, well, we're sure thankful for Johnny Appleseed. It may not have been there in the first Thanksgiving, but we're glad to have it now. Absolutely. I love it. <laughs> oh, dear. Some of the other interesting things, uh, you know, we always think about the corn and um the popcorn, we think that's part of it. Well, that wasn't at that time. That came in much later. And they wouldn't have had corn on the cob or like we would have even off the cob because that would be uh, how the the corn would have been when it was immature uh, during the summer. But when it was actually harvested, it was harder and they would kind of parch it. They would cook it and yes. it puff the kernels, but it didn't pop them. And so right. that that was another thing that I went, Oh my goodness, all these years <laughs> I have been <Yes>. misinformed. <laughs> we always had parched corn. We always had parched corn for Thanksgiving dinner as a as growing up because my mom would always parch the corn just like that. Very well, bless her for knowing that. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah, she, I don't know why she did, but we always did. That's part of our Thanksgiving repertoire. <laughs> Well, that that is. It's just really very, very nice. Another thing um, about the um, the hairstyles for men, um, sometimes, well, if you see only a mustache, no, they didn't have that. If you see a beard without a mustache, no, that was much later, too. And so they, they did have the full beards and very little uh, clean shaven. to my understanding. Now, that might be a part of history that I missed as well, but... But uh, those particular styles were much later, um, later on. So, and it's interesting now to see so many, so many men with fuzzy faces. Yes, it's back in style. <laughs> back in yeah. style. We call that progress. <laughs> well, I back say. in. Because, you know, we don't have razors. It's really hard to find razors nowadays. They're very expensive. Oh, very they hard are. To come by. Yeah, they, <laughs> they are very, very difficult to come by. So, yeah. And the thing is, they just keep growing back again. You've got to do it constantly. <laughs> exactly. It's like I already did that once. Like, why do I have to shave again? I've already got that done. It just comes well, back. I'll, I'll tell you a funny little thing just because uh, we're on this. Uh, when I give my piano lessons, you know, we always have little things to help us know the names of the spaces and the lines. And and um, you you got seven letters in the music alphabet, but only four spaces. So you got face. So I help my kids by extending this to a, a sentence. I say dads that goes under the line. Face, be sure to spell it out, grows beards. So that's that's my little acronym to help them remember the names of the spaces on the treble staff. Oh, that's very clever. <laughs> okay, so Back in, let's see, what year was it? Actually, we had our president of the United States, and he didn't, It. I don't, really wasn't even his idea. It was because Congress appealed to him, because citizens appealed to Congress, and asked him to pass a day of Thanksgiving. Yes. And, yeah, and I just love that, and I think we, again, culture and history has kind of changed what Thanksgiving is from what it originally was. I would love to talk about 
the original Thanksgiving? What did they actually do? And in what way did they celebrate? And what did they do on Thanksgiving? Well, it's interesting to note that they actually had two different days that we've kind of blended together. Yes. Um, the Thanksgiving day was was a day of, um, of prayer. And if things had not gone well, fasting, because you probably had not brought the blessings of God on us, we probably did some things we shouldn't have. So we would fast. But if it was a day of, um, of Thanksgiving and things had gone well, then we would end the day with with a good meal. But the thing that we think of as Thanksgiving is more of the, the harvest celebration. And so when you bring in the harvest, this would be a day of rejoicing. There'd be dancing, there'd be singing. And of course, you'd have the great feast. And the first Thanksgiving, as we understand it, it's actually three days long. And there are about 90 um, of the Native Americans that came to enjoy that feast with them. And we have the um, um, the written account that they had sent uh, men out to do the fowling. So they were hunting the game of the, the, the birds. They brought back turkeys and other fowl, I'm sure, but that was mentioned. And then the, um, the Indians had brought five deer to add to the feast. And so they they had, there's not a lot written about it. There's a lot more uh, assumed than we actually have written. But um, I think, well, we probably would have done this. We probably would have done that. But not anything really written to tell them about what you did during those three days. Besides, I don't think you could have been eating the whole time. But there would have been other other activities that they would have participated in. But definitely not football games. Definitely not. Yes. <laughs> they hadn't created it yet. That's right. Yes. And so I think it is important to note that that wasn't just a day of eating and eating and enjoying the harvest. Plus, I don't get the idea from my studies that their harvest was anything like what our harvest is now, that it was really kind of a meager harvest that it was they were just so blessed to have food it wasn't in massive plenty but they had adequate but they were very grateful and they did spend time thanking god and acknowledging how blessed they were that they did finally have food and that they had been brought to america by god's hand which is pretty amazing i i also want to um I want to encourage everyone or to, you know, challenge to pull up George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation. And I always love to share that with the family on Thanksgiving. And the reason is it's just so beautiful. And it really talks about how God is such a part of our nation. And it he what I also love is that he says it's the duty of all nations, not just America, to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. I just love that. And I think, you know, when we get together with our families and we're having such a wonderful time, creating so many great memories and enjoying so many traditions, I think it is really worthy of just spending a few minutes just sharing this proclamation and talking about um, the divine providence and who we can be so grateful, not to just our 
each other, not just our friends and not just our family, but also grateful to our creator and our provider and acknowledge that he is the benef- the provider of all of our rights and all of our liberties. And I see Thanksgiving as a very religious holiday. We just have a few minutes, few seconds left. Pamela, would you like to say anything else? Well, the only thing I would like to say is that probably the third Thanksgiving, they really had a bountiful harvest that time because they had given up their experiment with socialism. And uh, that really made the difference. You are so right. Once they instituted the free enterprise system, very bountiful. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. And you too. 